can open your Bibles with me this morning to Genesis 13. Genesis 13, and we're picking up again this morning on the story and the account of the life of Abram. And it's been a couple of weeks since we were with Abram, so we'll, let's bring ourselves up to speed on where we are. In Genesis 12, we were introduced to this man, Abram. And why should we care about this man who lived thousands of years ago? What, what possible interest and relevance does Abram have for us? Well, we saw in the beginning verses of Genesis 12 that God made great promises to Abram. This is why Abram is important to us, that God made great promises to Abram, promises to bless Abram. He called Abram out of his native land, and he said, I'm, I'm going to bring you into this land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to give it to you, Abram, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation, and not only am I going to bless you, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. In that first week, when we looked at the first verses of Genesis 12, we saw that's the relevance to us, is actually that God's plan to bless the world is through Abram and his family. And if we want to be blessed by God, we ought to pay close attention to the story of Abram's family, which is actually the story of the rest of Scripture. And we saw when we began to look at Abram that actually the story of Abram ends in some ways, or rather maybe begins in a new way, with the person of Jesus Christ. Right? That God's plan to bless the world through Abram goes through Abram's family all the way to Jesus, who is Abram's seed. And that even now, in the preaching of the gospel, through Jesus' finished work of his death and resurrection and present reign, that as people are coming to faith in Jesus, being reconciled to God, that all the nations are being blessed through the line of Abram. So these are these great promises made to Abram. Abram just, just knows the tip of the iceberg, really, of all that God is going to do through him and through his family. In some ways, the whole story of, of Scripture, but the story of the life of Abram, is the story of God's promises. God made great promises to Abram. And as we follow through the rest of Abram's life and all of, all of his descendants, we'll see in generation after generation, time and time again, God is faithful to his promises. That's one part of the story. And the other part of the story is what God's people do with those promises. If they live by faith in those promises or if they forget God's promises. And that's what we saw two weeks ago when Abram went down to Egypt in the second half of chapter 12. He forgot God's promises. He did not live by faith. He lived in fear. He was afraid that Pharaoh would want to steal his wife and kill him. And so he lied, and his, he made his wife lie. He said, don't say you're my wife, just say you're my sister. Putting his wife in danger, and Pharaoh actually brought Sarai, his wife, into his household to marry her. And, and all because Abram didn't trust the Lord to protect him and to protect his family. He thought he had to take matters into his own hands. And that ended quite poorly. And so sort of where we pick up on the story is that Pharaoh finds out the Lord brings this plague down on Pharaoh's family. The Lord steps in and protects Abram and his family. The Lord's faithful even when Abram isn't. And Pharaoh says, get out of here. 
I don't want you in, in my land. Why'd you lie to me? And he kicks Abram and his family out. And so that's where we pick up on the story of Abram and his family. Abram sort of with his tail between his legs, heading on back to the promised land. Let's read Genesis 13 together. Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning to your word, hungry to be filled. We come to your word not to be entertained or to be interested. We come because we are in need because we need your word to survive, because we are dead without you, because we are lost without you, Father. And so we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning, that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit, that you would make us people of faith, that you would impress our hearts with the greatness of your promises towards us who believe. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These events, Abram coming back from Egypt, and this sort of conflict with Lot, I see as something of a, of a repentance. 
on Abram's part. He's returning again to trusting in the promises of God. He grounds himself again, as we'll see, in God's promises and in all that he had promised to him. And as a result, we're going to see that this actually frees up Abram to live confidently and selflessly. Right? And we see this in how he interacts with Lot. That's our big idea this morning. Grounding ourselves in God's promises frees us to live confidently and selflessly. Okay? Grounding ourselves in God's promises frees us to live confidently and selflessly. So, let's see if we can find that in the Word. 13, verse 1, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. So this is Abram heading back from Egypt, tail tucked between his legs, um, going back to the promised land. And we're told in verse 2 that Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. You may remember from... Uh, chapter 12, when Abram was down in Egypt and Pharaoh was courting his wife, that Pharaoh loaded him down with all kinds of wealth, silver and gold and livestock, and he doesn't take it from him when he kicks Abram out. So Abram leaves Egypt, despite his faithlessness, blessed by God with all this abundance and with all this wealth. And so he's rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And we're told that he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. Bethel literally means house of God. And we're told he goes back to the place where he'd made an altar at first. And there he called upon the name of the Lord. After his wandering down in Egypt and his faithlessness, he's now going back to the place where he worshipped God at the beginning. He's returned to the promised land. He's returned actually to the place where God had made some of these promises to him. And there he calls upon the name of the Lord. He's looking to the Lord again. He's going back to the place of the promises and remembering these wonderful promises that God had given to him. Abram, I think, is actually grounding himself in God's promises. This whole passage is actually bookended by worship. Here, Abram worships at the altar, and then all the way in, in verse 18, at the end of the chapter, we're told that he, he builds another altar at Hebron. So it, this passage is bounded, it's bookended by worship. In, this, in, this, in these events, Abram, is, he's, his eyes are on the Lord. He's fixed his eyes on the Lord. He's grounded himself in God's promises. He's remembering all that God had promised to him. And this is a discipline we should, we should find ourselves in. Again and again, remembering the promises of God. Remembering what God has promised to us. It's quite easy to forget. As the great hymn states, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Without regularly refreshing ourselves in the word of God, without regularly reminding ourselves of the promises of God, we're prone to forget and we're prone to, to slide and to drift into the kind of faithless, fearful, doubt-ridden activity of Abram in Egypt, trying to scrape together and figure it out on our own, forgetting that we're actually children of a heavenly Father who's promised to care for us. 
And so we need to find ways of regularly grounding ourselves in God's promises. What Abram does is he goes back to the place where he'd worshipped God at first. He goes back to that same altar. There's a sort of physicality to his repentance here. He's literally going back to where he was before his disobedience. He's, I'm, i got to go back there. Go back to where God had made these promises. I want, to be, I want to be the man like I was at first when God first made those promises to me. And so I think there's a, there's a wisdom even in our own lives of, of regularly going back. Functionally, Abram's going to church. <laughs> he said, I'm going back to the place where I worship God, where I remember his promises. And so there's a way in which even just coming here regularly, right, gathering with God's people, what are we doing on a Sunday morning? We sing God's promises together. We hear God's promises read in Scripture. We hear God's promises preached. Right? We pray on the basis of God's promises. Basically, what we're doing is reminding each other, right? coming together and, and singing and saying to one another, don't you remember the promises of God? Don't you know he's so good? And we need this because we're prone to forget. And not just when we come to church together, we need this daily, regularly to be going to God in prayer, reminding ourselves of his goodness, praising him for his faithfulness, regularly going to the word. If we don't have regular disciplines in the word and in prayer throughout the week, we'll starve will starve for God's promises and we'll find ourselves living not on the basis of God's promises but on the basis of something else and anything else is sinking sand. We need to regularly ground ourselves in God's promises. That's what Abram does here. And so he begins this passage with feet planted on solid ground. He's looked to the Lord. He's called on the name of the Lord. He's remembered the promises of God. And what he does at the beginning of the passage has implications in how he deals with the rest of what's going to confront him. When Abram's faced with threats in Egypt, he deals with them poorly. His feet are not firmly planted on the promises of God. But when he begins to deal with a conflict with Lot, it becomes obvious that his feet are firmly planted. So first, Abram grounds himself in God's promises. Then we see he's confronted by a crisis. He's confronted by a crisis. Verse 5, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So this is one of these good problems to have. They're so wealthy, they have so much livestock, that it's becoming an issue. They're having a difficult time dwelling together. In this culture, particularly as these nomadic herdsmen, wealth was in their animals. Right? They had some gold and they had some silver, um, but wealth was in animals. You don't put your wealth in a 401k or in a bank here. You buy animals, and then if you have good pasture land, right, if you have good places to graze your herds, they'll actually multiply, and you can multiply your wealth in that way. Um, but Abram and Lot have so many animals, so many herds, trying to dwell in one place that there's simply not enough land for grazing. There's simply not enough space 
We're given a bit of an idea of the size of this entourage um, in the next chapter, when in uh, chapter 14, verse 14, uh, we're told that Abram had 318 fighting men in his household. So that's of the people who were there with Abram, his family, his, his servants, those who worked for him, there was 318 men who were of fighting age. Right. So that gives us an idea of the size of this group. We're dealing with a thousand or more, probably, probably much more people with Abram here. This is, a, this is quite a sizable group. So you can imagine that number trying to tent in one place and then trying to have enough space to graze their herds, and apparently there was quite a lot of conflict. Um, the servants begin fighting with one another, and Abram sees this is not sustainable. So what does Abram do? Verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. He says, there's, there's plenty of space. Why don't we split up? This is going to be more sustainable if we're, if we're not together. And notice the deal he gives to Lot. He says, if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. I don't know if you ever had to split a peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> with your brother or your sister growing up. Um, or a brownie or something. And the classic arrangement is you cut, I pick. <laughs> right? You cut, I pick. So you'll be sure to cut even slices and we'll get about the same. That's the sort of self-protectionist attitude when you come to a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's not what Abram does. He doesn't say, you cut, I pick, or I cut, you pick. He says, you cut, you pick. Take what you want, Lot. You, whatever land you want, you look around. There's plenty of space. You pick the, the best of it. You go where you want to, Lot. I'll, I'll take whatever's left. I'll, you, whichever direction you go, I'll head off in the opposite direction. This is a very strange thing for Abram to do especially in contrast with his attitude in the previous chapter. Right? So paranoid about his own safety that he actually puts his wife at risk. But now, I mean, in the last chapter, it's like he's so tense, his fists are tight. And now, with open hands, he says, Lot, you take what you want. Is not the whole land before me? Why? Why? What's the difference? He's grounded himself in the promises of God. Because he's remembering that the God of the heavens, the God who made the heavens and the earth and who rules over them has said, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless you. And this land, it's all yours. I'm giving it all to you. And not only am I going to bless you, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And if that's the case... And if that's true, what has Abram to fear? He can live with open hands. Lot, you, you take whatever you need. I'll be fine. The Lord my God is by my side. 
And so we can see the kind of confident and even generous living which is generated if we're grounded in the promises of God, if we actually believe that the God of the heavens and the earth is by our side and has promised to care for us and has given us the promises of a great inheritance, which is what he'd promised to Abram, and as we'll see as we go along, is actually what he's promised to us as well that we too actually are able to bank on similar and even greater promises than Abram had received. And this should enable us too to live not with clenched fists, but with open hands. Not living with a scarcity mentality like playing hungry, hungry hippos, trying to get as much as you can and make sure no one else gets it. But with open hands saying, actually, God has given me incredible promises. I have no lack because the Lord is by my side. That's Abram's attitude. So what does Lot pick? It's an interesting side note. What does Lot pick? Well, he looks around and he looks towards the Jordan River Valley. And the Jordan River Valley was verdant. It was green. It was well, well watered because there's a river there. And Canaan in the, in the high country was really dependent on the rains. If you had good rains, there's plenty of field, there's plenty of pasture. It's beautiful, uh, covered in green. But if, if there's no rain, you get worried. That's why Abram had gone down to Egypt in the first place. But the Jordan River Valley, that's, that's a little more consistent. And, and Lot looks down there and he says, so that's pretty green. That's pretty nice. And he sees that there's cities down there. Other people have settled there. And he says, I think I'll go that direction. So Lot looks around and he picks what, what he understands to be the best of the land. And just as a sort of side note here, it becomes clear that not all that glitters is gold. Not all that glitters is gold. There's foreshadowing here for Abram, uh, for Lot rather. Um, that Lot's choice is not the best choice. Verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. That doesn't bode, bode well given what's just gone down in Egypt. And then even more explicitly, we're told in verse 13 that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And then in verse 10, we're told that eventually the Lord's actually going to destroy these cities. Lot's uh, walking in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. He's actually putting himself in a dangerous place. He doesn't understand. Not all that glitters is gold. So that's what, what Lot chooses. We'll, we'll pick up on Lot's story later. And Abram trusts in the promises of God. He turns towards Canaan, turns towards the promised land, and Abram's faith in God is vindicated. Because just on the heels of this, what does God do? He reminds Abram again of his promises, and he adds to them. Verse 14, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you 
and to your offspring forever. Just look around. This is all yours. Again, there's people living in the land. Verse 7, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. It doesn't actually belong to Abram yet. He's living as a, as a pilgrim, as a stranger, as a sojourner. He's going from place to place. But the Lord is, again, saying, look around. Everything that you see in every direction, I'm giving it to you, Abram. I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. And then in verse 16, he says, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your spring also can be counted. Again, remember, this is a man who's moving on into the, the latter part of a century of living. His wife's up towards 70 and barren, unable to have children. And God's again saying, I'm going to give you so many kids, you're not going to be able to count them. Try. It'll be like counting the sand on the seashore. It's not going to happen, Abram. I'm going to give you so many kids. And you see the faith of Abram, too, in, in letting Lot go away. Remember who Lot is. Lot is Abram's nephew. Lot's father had died before any of them had left their homeland. And so Lot's tagging along with Abram almost as an adopted son. Um, if anyone was going to be the heir of Abram and all of his stuff, it would have been Lot. And Abram's willing to send him away. You've got enough stuff. You, you got real rich in Egypt, Lot. You're, you'll be fine. We can't even live together. It's, it's not sustainable this much wealth. You go away. God's going to give me kids. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. This verse is about you, by the way. You, you are among these numberless grains of sand if you are a Christian. You're an heir of these promises. This is where you come in the picture, and it's like, well, what, is, what does all this have relevance to? I'm not Abram. I'm not a wandering herdsman in Canaan. What has God promised me? How do, I, how do I get to be a part of this? And again, we go back to the promise that God made to Abram at first. In you, all the nations of the world shall be blessed. I'm going to give you as, so many kids, you're not going to be able to count them. As we follow through the story of the Old Testament, in generation after generation, we're looking for fulfillment of these promises. When are, is Abram going to have numerous descendants? Now, he gets a lot. God makes it a nation of them. But if you look at the world scale, Israel remains sort of a footnote in the, the tales of the empires of the world. It's small in number, the physical descendants of Abram. Not quite as numerous as the sand of the seashore. And Israel develops a reputation at various times among the nations of the world, but, but it's hard to pinpoint a place where, where you can say, this is where all the nations of the world are blessed through Israel, as you're working through the Old Testament. And that's until we run into the person of Jesus Christ. Person of Jesus Christ. And it's in him that these promises reach their most brilliant fruition 
because Jesus came and he died. Jesus, the Son of God, took on human form and lived a sinless and perfect life and died on the cross for the sins of the world. He died on the cross so that anyone from any nation, anyone who would come to be washed by the blood could be forgiven, reconciled to God. Jesus died so that the the fall in the garden could be undone, so that the works of Satan could be defeated. He, he died and then he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead with resurrection power, which as he preached and his, his apostles declared is actually available for us and for anyone who would come to him in faith. And before he left, he said, wait, in Jerusalem, he's speaking to the apostles, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit in power upon you and then go and I'm going to have you declare this good news of resurrection life, of forgiveness and power in the death and resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And similarly in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus Christ that God is blessing the world through Abram. Jesus, Paul tells us in Galatians, is actually Abram's seed. And not only that, you are part of Abram's family if you belong to Jesus. Galatians 3 Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abram. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. This is Paul going back and saying, That's about Jesus. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abram, the man of faith. Do we want to be able to lean on the promises of God like Abram did? To trust in the promise of the blessing of God like Abram did? You can if you know Jesus. Because if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're actually a son of Abram an heir of these great blessings. Verse 27. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to promise. If we put our trust in Christ, we're sons of Abram, and not just sons of Abram, sons of God. Galatians 4, verse 4, 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, an heir through God. This is your reality. This is who you are if you are in Jesus. You are a son. You are a daughter of Abram, and you are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. And this is how Jesus teaches us to pray, right? Our Father, which is language almost entirely foreign to the Old Testament. He teaches us to pray, our Father, that God is our Father. And all throughout the New Testament, as Jesus teaches us to trust in the promises of God, so often the basis of these promises is actually of the fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God. Both promises for our present provision and promises of a future inheritance. So a few weeks ago we looked in Matthew 6, and Jesus is teaching us not to be anxious, but he says, look around at the fields, Look at the birds. Look at how God clothes and feeds the flowers and the birds. How much more will your heavenly Father clothe and feed you? He says, don't you, even you know, good fathers among you, and you're sinful. You're, he actually says, you're evil. Right? Don't, don't the fathers among you know how to give good gifts to your kids? If they ask for, a, uh, uh, for bread, you don't give them a stone. He says, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts if you come in and ask him? And so this is, this is the reality for us as, as Christians, that we can actually trust in God, in the fatherhood of God, in the same way that Abram did. Abram's trusting in the promises of God. He's trusting, he's able to, with open hands, say, Lot, you take whatever you want to. You cut, you choose. God will take care of me. A consistent Christian life is marked by the same kind of open-handedness with what we have. It's like, it's all from God anyways. I didn't scrape this together. Think about Abram. It's like, the Lord gave it to me all in in Egypt. (laughs) It's not mine to begin with. And and the land, it's not mine to begin with, but he's promised it. And so Abram's able to walk in confidence because God has promised to care for him and to bless him. And so we can, we can ditch the idol of control real quick if we're actually trusting in the promises of God. Like, it's not up to us to care for ourselves. If it was, it would all fall apart real quick. We're dependent entirely on the care and the provision of God. And when we realize that, that, that can give us an incredible amount of freedom incredible amount of peace not trying to do the fearful prideful control thing that Abram was doing in Egypt but instead living confidently with open hands knowing the greatness of the promises of God and not just the promises of God for our present provision also the the future promises that he's given us of what's stored up for us in heaven I want you to notice what the Lord tells Abram to do. Uh, All the way back here in Genesis 
13, as we get towards the end of the chapter. Verse 17, he says, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Walk the length and the breadth of the land. I remember growing up, my dad, usually once a year, or once every couple of years, he'd walk the, the property line of, of our land, and he'd go and he'd, he'd refresh the orange marking tape on the, the stakes. And uh, I think it was just an excuse for him to kind of to, to walk the land, to, to see what the property was doing. And I would often go with him. It's a sort of, a, it's a kingly thing to walk the the lines to walk the land, but this is, this is mine, right? Even if it's just an acre, it's like, this is mine. Um, that's what the Lord's telling Abram to do. He says, walk the land, walk around. This is, this, you go mark the lines. This is what I'm giving to you, Abram, which is a curious thing because it's not his yet. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, they're living in the land. It's not Abram's yet. And yet God says, walk the land. I'm going to give this to you. I'm, I'm giving it all to you. Go act as king, right? Walk the lines. He's, he's walking the lines in faith. Saying, yep, all this God's going to give to me. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. He's walking in faith. And it's a similar thing that the Lord calls us to do as we're looking forward to what God has promised. We have not yet received all that God has promised. First Peter 1, the Apostle Peter rejoices in the greatness of what God has promised. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the, from the dead. To what? He says, to an inheritance. An inheritance. Now, who receives an inheritance? Children. Children receive an inheritance. It's Abram's children who are going to receive the promised land that God had promised to him. Who are we if we are in Christ? Sons of God. Not just sons of Abram, sons of God. He has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God has stored up for us a great inheritance. What is that inheritance? Eternal life, a home with God, like Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And we look forward to the last couple of chapters of Revelation, the promise of God making all things new. What will we be given as co-heirs with Christ? The new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, shining in the light not of the sun, but in the light of God's presence. Paradise forever with God. This, can you feel the weight of that inheritance? If that doesn't blow you away, you haven't gotten it yet. That's yours if you are in Christ. That's yours. Are you grounded in that? Do you believe that? Do you live like that's true? Or are you living like a millionaire kid and you're like in a tent on the street sleeping on cardboard? Don't you know what your father has promised to you? 
Again, the freedom we can have if we really understand, if we really get our arms around this, like the rest. We don't have to scramble and strive. The Father has given this to us. Grounding ourselves in God's promises frees us to live confidently and generously, knowing the kindness of our great Father. Let's pray together. Father, we want to grasp the heights and the depths of your love for us in Jesus. We don't want to live blind to what you've promised us, blind to the riches you've given us in Jesus. Overwhelm us day by day. Remind us day by day of the great goodness you've shown to us in Jesus. Remind us of the wonder of forgiveness, of the joy of adoption. Remind us, Father, of the great inheritance you have stored up for us. Thank you. Thank you, Father, that those of us who are in Christ, that we're, we're sons of Abram and that we're your sons, Father. Thank you for the assurance that that can give to us. Help us day by day and week by week to ground ourselves in your great promises, Heavenly Father, that we would be able to live with open hands and in our generosity to show the love that you have shown to us, to those around us. Help us to glorify you in the greatness of your promises by actually trusting them and living like they're true. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.